Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie Warmke. Yes, you are. And today we're going to talk about women in non-traditional industries or the sisters are doing it for themselves, which I know it sounds very condescending when I say it, but you know, um, (laughs) anyway, and we're joined by Destiny Dame of Dame Good Construction. So how you doing, Destiny? I'm doing well. And uh, and Annie, you wanna you wanna give Destiny a little introduction, and then she can introduce herself and correct the record. Okay. All right. Well, Destiny has uh, been with us before. Uh, three years ago, she came to Blue Rock Station as an intern, and then uh, she has stayed connected with us over those three years. And um, she wanted to do some things around learning to be a contractor so we said come on down we love to have you with us and she's come to be with blue rock station and learn contractor management project management and um uh question everything we do that's right <laughs> she's, she's very good at questioning everything i do i don't know about questioning you that's very true she knows where her where her cards are <laughs> Yeah, so I'm uh, Destiny Dame, and like Annie said, I'm down here at Blue Rock Station learning how to be a contractor and incubating my business, uh, Dame Good Construction. So uh, with Dame Good Construction, my goal is to provide high-quality deconstruction and reconstruction for for women by women. Um, And I really want to emphasize resiliency practices by the use of recycle, restore, and reuse of materials. So that's kind of my business mission statement. Yeah, and and we've been really excited about the ideas that, uh, that you've had because it seems to me anyway that this is kind of the future for, particularly for women. You know, we, we want to be able to trust uh, and also not be treated like we're stupid. And so one of the things that you have participated in is the Buffalo Gals Roundup that uh, Carrie and I put together. How do you think that's influenced your thinking around women helping women kind of thing? Well, the Buffalo Gals Roundup has really just um, shown me that I'm on the right path. You know, it's been very affirming. We we have these women who come in and they have limited to no carpentry skills. And we've heard them say that, you know, if the class was taught by men that they wouldn't have taken the class. And I think there's something to be said about women working together. There's more of a freedom to collaborate, to make mistakes, to learn from each other. And I think the Buffalo Gals has really just emphasized that. So tell us how you got started in this because somebody didn't just show up one day and say, Annie and Jay, could I come there and learn this? So you got a track record. So my track record started at a young age. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're still at a young age. Come on. <laughs> like super young. You were shorter, right? Yeah, I was a much shorter, <laughs> much younger. I had a whole head of hair at that point. Um, but it started as a really, you know, as a young girl and people tried to put me in very specific gender roles and that came through every gift that I got was a Barbie doll or something Barbie related and for me I was more obsessed with her home so I (laughs) Barbie's house Barbie's house Uh was what it was about I hardly ever touched the dolls so 
it started with a two-story Malibu Barbie dream house. And, you know, that was a really big deal to for me to receive that. But it only took about a week until I had glued popsicle sticks to the floor so she could have hardwood flooring, and I used nail polish to paint the walls. And then pretty soon after that, I actually got bored with the Barbie doll house. It just seemed too conventional. So I took a bookshelf, and I started making you know, her home out of this bookshelf and expanded, you know, the front of the bookshelf to be a garden and, you know, just, just all these things. It's always been, it's always been within me to, to design spaces. So, so then you went on and they sent you to trade school so you could learn how to do all I'm this. I'm sure you were encouraged every step of the way. Right? Yeah, no, the encouragement <laughs> wasn't there um, for any of that. And actually, there was no encouragement either for learning the the math and the science of building or really math and science in general. Um, so those were obstacles that I that I am overcoming now as somebody who wasn't encouraged in those fields. And then, you know, there was a period that I just kind of gave up on it for a little bit because I didn't see any women doing this. I don't, I don't recall having a conscious thought of, oh, construction isn't for women, but I was never inspired by the women around me because they weren't, they weren't doing these things. It was more about becoming a beautician or a mother or, you know, working in the, the medical industry, which, you know, that's, those are all admirable things too, but that was never my calling. That could be 1855, not 2010 or whatever. Right. But it was, it was the early 2000s when mm -hmm. I was, you know, going through all this the late 90s. Well, we've had some discussions about um, women and, you know, you're, you're saying this is by women, which you've sort of addressed, but for women. And, and uh, some of our discussions were around, you know, how much of the contracting world as, from a customer perspective is controlled or owned by women? I would have to say not a lot at all. I do know that um, according to the Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics, that only 9% of women make up all construction workers. So that's residential, commercial, road construction, things like that. And it's only 9%. However, with that being said, 99, according to the Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics, and we don't know if this is 100% accurate, but 99% of the women are being paid what the men are being paid. So, I mean, that's... If they're all the women, all women are just directing traffic, I might believe that, but I don't think it's quite the case. Well, we also talked about, though, um, how a lot of that would be unions advocating for we the hope, women. I would hope so. But the thought that I had with it, if you're not in the union and say you're just working for the the dad and son's construction company and you you are being paid the equal or close to the equal amount of your male counterpart i i say some of that's because the type of women who are getting into this industry are already bold and brazen women because we didn't grow up seeing women in construction so if you're doing this you know you probably already have a little bit of a thick skin and strong vocal cords as i like to say Mm -hmm. The other thing is, what about the fact that you're saying for women? So this implies that you're going to, your, your customer is a woman. 
And so what, what directed you towards that? What statistics show that that could be a good direction? Well, the four women bit didn't necessarily come from a statistic offhand. Uh, what it came from was just observing the environment around me and noticing how many women, one, have limited to no carpentry skills. Or electrical. Or, or electrical, or any of those kinds of th trade skills, really. But then to see some of my family members decide, okay, I'm going to go, you know, these are older, single, widowed women who have decided to go into assisted living, living facilities after their husbands have passed away. And one of the main reasons being, well, if something goes wrong with the house, I, I can't fix it, nor do they necessarily trust a man with their safety and privacy. Now, that's not always the case. Sometimes, too, they just know that they're not going to have a voice in the building and designing process. Or if they do, it's going to be hushed because, well, I've been doing this for 30 years and my dad's been doing it and whatever else. So I think that there's a really big need for women to hire other women. Also, when you hire women, you know, that money goes back and mainly goes back into the local economy or it'll go to her children or uplifting other, ch other women in her um, community. So I think that that's, that's really important to emphasize that. That it's a whole different experience with, with women, not all women, but certainly thinking, thinking like that. Mm -hmm. I know my aunt who needed to sell um, some of her things, and she was just terrified that there would be a man who would come in and, you know, appraise things, or she needed repairs, and she was dependent on her sons, but they didn't show up. And... Um, and so she didn't want some stranger coming into her house because there were just too many stories of older women being accosted or taken advantage of or, uh, or taking the money and not finishing the project, things like that. Right. And I mean, I think we're... We're not saying that all male contractors are like that. I don't want to. But culturally, I, wanna... I think there's an issue. Yeah, I, I don't think they're worried about, well, some of them would be worried about getting attacked. But I think it's a more reasonable thing to think that a large portion of women, especially older women, but yeah, younger is too, will just feel belittled, you know, belittled by the process or condescended to or, you know, tut tut little lady kind of thing and 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 not feel a, a, an equal partner in the project. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, but I, I also see this, you know, like we have a friend who's just become a widow and she's needed to have things done to the house that were put off while her husband was dying. And every single person she's hired has taken advantage of her. Every single one. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily uncommon um, to come across that in contracting. Um, however, some of that, I think, just comes from the an, an educated client. Yeah, you know, the lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge, mm -hmm. right, and how to set up contracts and to hold hold your contractor accountable for those kinds of things. So, oh, and how you do just get them to come back. You know, right. that's the problem. Well, and a big um, a big gap that we're seeing in in the industry is, you know, a lot of people are being told that their project is too small. You know, they're not, 
the contractors aren't going to make enough profit to come in and just do your small repairs. So eventually what ends up happening is, you know, your house starts falling apart, little project by little project by little project. And so I really, I'm looking forward to filling a lot of that gap, you know, and in the process, I, I would like to be able to empower, to help empower um, women to to do some of their project with me, you know, to, to see that they are capable of taking nails out of boards and, you know, maybe doing up their own backsplash, things of that nature. That way, it's just more seen, you know, and it's, it's more felt. Um, and maybe at that point, they, they don't feel the need to hire a contractor or a handyman for every little thing. And maybe in their areas, they don't have women that they can hire. Well, um, let me take a break here and remind everybody that you are listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. And we are reminding you, it is indeed the end of the world as you know it and we know it. And thank God. And thank God. And hopefully the end of the world as we know it for um, contractors who take advantage of people. And, and I think, you know, you're talking about so many of them in the process. And I don't think it's a male or female kind of thing, but you're likely to be taken advantage if you're intimidated by the person who is, who is yeah, you know, giving you the contract. You're not yeah. going to push back. And that's, well, that's a con- often a technique. Yeah, a con artist can, can tell easy prey. Yeah, you know, so there's edu- a lot of that. So if you're you're looking to have some home repairs done and, you know, remodeling, whatever it is, just, you know, do your research beforehand and make sure that you walk in with as strong of a backbone as you can. That's, that's yeah. going to be very important. Find other people that say good things about mm-hmm. the person. I want to, I want to back up for a minute and talk about the fact that so, so there are a lot less women involved in um, the trade industry but how how did you find trying to get education and trying to get trained? How did that, what's the road for you for that? Well, I'll tell you, it wasn't asking male contractors if they would teach me. <laughs> um, that never worked out for me, so that's not where I would start. Um, for me, though, it started with natural building itself, because at that point, I didn't have any carpentry skills or building skills whatsoever. So what I liked about natural building is that it was, you know, earth is a very forgivable material. The materials are in abundance. Um, So it kind of started down that track. But what do you mean by natural building? So using earthen materials, clay, sand, straw, earth bag, straw bale, um, things of that nature. So that, and all that started just by online research and an affinity for that. From there, what really actually empowered me to say, you know what, I can do this, is I saw this collective of women in BC, Canada called the Mud Girls Collective. And it's just what it sounds like. It's a collective of natural building women. And, um, you know, I heard their stories and it really moved me because all of them started from a place where they didn't know anything. You know, they just knew that they needed a home and that they needed it to last. And so they went about it from trial and error. And that's kind of the angle that I've come at it from. So with the passion of natural building, the budding passion of natural building, from there, I just started looking up natural building internships. 
And so that's how eventually I got linked here to Blue Rock Station to come out and learn learn some of the, the building trades that I could. And then that's just been, you know, a, a gradual growing process from integrating both natural building and traditional building techniques. However, there's there actually is quite a few programs and schools out there teaching women carpentry and trades. And then I also found, you know, there are some activities and programs for really young girls too out there. So if that's something that you're interested in, I think one of the biggest challenges that you're going to face is yourself. And that's that being you have to get out of your own head. You have to be willing to overcome some of these gender barriers that you tell yourself is out there. Because there are teachers out there. There is a community of, of women who, who are doing this, and they would love a bigger community too. You know, the more voices we have, the more powerful as a collective we stand. Well, the other part, though, is that it didn't just happen. I mean, you you were oh, no. going to do some other things in the three years between when you were here first and then now. So we'll talk a little bit about that and your struggles. So my first natural building internship was in Michigan. I did it with um, Straw Bale Studios. And that was a month-long winternship is what it was called. So we just learned kind of the um, theory of natural building techniques. And through that, I met with the Endeavor Center, which is a sustainable building program out in Canada. So it took me about three years, three to four years actually, to be able to afford the program you know, and, and be in a place that I could take four months off of work and live in a, in a different country to be able to do this. Um, and ultimately, that was very unobtainable um, between COVID and financial constraints. Plus, the border closed down, so right, you can't COVID. leave or go into Canada. Right. I mean, the that that was the biggest one there. However, you know, there like I was saying, there's really good programs out there. You just have to be willing to seek them out. But then what happened after that? Because the important thing for me about all of this is that lots of us have the ability to teach this, but we don't use our resources in the right way. We don't invite young people to participate. So so what happened then? The borders closed. You think you're going to go to Canada and things were supposed to like lighten up a little bit last winter and then what? So things didn't lighten up last winter <laughs> and that's kind of what happened. And I just, I knew for myself that I needed to get traction. I couldn't take another year off of the building season. Um, and so I put the call out on Facebook to all my Facebook friends, but then also a bunch of different natural building and sustainable building groups to see who was doing who was doing something that I could take part in and of course by the you know by the divine you know Blue Rock Station reached out and said hey let's let's finish this tiny house so it did work out in my favor however I would say over the four years that I've been on this journey other than Blue Rock Station it it has been really hard to find a program to to learn with and I mean that in a few different um, senses like you know a lot of them 
you you can't work during during the build season. So there's a lot of financial restraints. You mean you know? outside of the outside yeah. of the program. A lot mm -hmm. of them aren't paying you while you're there. A lot of them aren't housing you or feeding you. So not only do you have to pay for the program, you have to then be able to save enough money to to live off of, you know, and, and pay your bills. And that's just that's when it got very, very daunting, you know, um, and made it really unobtainable for for a lot of people. Yep. And so so then we convinced you to come here. It took a little bit of convincing. It took no convincing. <laughs> we had to write out a bunch of things. No, you were being very businesslike, and and you said, well, what? How would this really work? And things like that. And um, so uh, so we got that worked out, and then we worked together for quite a while through Google Docs, trying to figure out what how things might come together. And right. Well, a lot of it, too, was about understanding that each program, each internship, apprenticeship, it should be like a ladder. I should be moving up. So if my first one was really just the theory of all these things, and it was in the middle of winter in Michigan, so we weren't building anything. <laughs> Unless you want to freeze to death. Right. I mean, we were collecting reed for thatched roofs, and we did a small model of that, and, you know, we started and like earth oven and mix some cob however it, it it wasn't it wasn't a full program like that and so for me it was about taking control of my own education and really f looking at what what people were offering me you know and what what could i offer them back and i just wanted to make sure that i was actually moving up and getting deeper and deeper into the education process. And when you're really passionate about what you do, there are tons of people who come out of the woodwork and, oh yeah, you know, I'd love to have you on my land and I've got this and this project. However, when you start really listening to them and reading in between the lines, you hear them telling you, no, I'm going to use you yeah. for an entire season. And you'll walk away with nothing. And for me, I, I really had to learn to, to weed that out. There was a lot of big, grandioso promises um, once from people. Once, you know, I realized I wasn't going to be doing the Endeavor Center program of, oh, yeah, come, come stay on my farm and I'll let you build this straw bale, you know, building and da-da-da-da-da. But it's like, None of that would ever be mine. You're not accredited in any way. You just want a, a free contractor, basically, to come out and do this. And so, uh, again, I had to really look at what was being offered to me to, to, have, to feel empowered enough to say, you know what, that isn't the right opportunity. Right. Well, questioning is a good thing because it is a give and take, but it's like saying, we're going to put you in graduate school, but you really only have a kindergarten education. Right. And that didn't feel good. No, it did not. No, it did not. Well, I, I want to change the uh, subject here just a little bit, because what's the sense of contracting if you can't go out and buy tools? So I want to hear some of your experience <laughs> with buying tools, because that's like fun. And, and uh, you know, what's, what's your, uh, you know, tools are made for men, 
you know, I, I don't want to, I mean, it's No, true. it's the it's truth. True. Anybody who has upper body strength, but this is not a new thing. So, right. yeah. So, so just coming from your perspective of it, you know, what have you run into? Okay. So the first time I walked into Home Depot with a wad of cash and ready to spend it, um, of course, I'm in the tool aisle. Eventually, somebody comes over to ask me if I need any help. And I did have a list of, you know, I want a circular saw, I want, you know, a drill, all, all those kinds of things, a good framing hammer. And I didn't know a whole lot. However, I did know some good brands, some not good brands, and what a quality tool felt like in the hand. And sexism when you experience yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so when I go in, this, this guy, of course it was a man. I hate to be brother bashing, but I am today. Um, just wanted to sell me these like cheapo Black and Decker small home repair tools, and I kept telling him, "No, I'm, you know, I'm becoming a contractor. I'm going to be doing this all summer, and I want these tools to last." And he kept pointing me towards, you know, these chintzy little things, and that really ticked me off. It really did. So. In my own way, I kind of rebelled and said, you know what? You can keep your Black & Decker. I'm going to go ahead and go with Milwaukee everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that that says a lot. Now, not everybody's going to be able to go into Home Depot and do things like that. I saved money like crazy. Or maybe they should to go be to able a to different do store. Or a different store, something Somebody's like that. More supportive. Um, another issue that I found was tool belts. Well, just work clothes for women. Jay loves laughing at my tool belt because they're not they're not built or designed for women at all. This thing, I swim in it. I had to like crank it all the way tight, poke new holes in it. The bags are huge and that was still one of the smallest tool belts that I could find there in store. Then I did look online for women's tool belts and most of them were pink. I cannot show up on a job site and be That's taken right. seriously as That's a woman right. with all these pink tools. So your options, unless if you go to the higher end of things, really seem to be, okay, you can have the cheapo Black & Decker stuff that you're, you know, that's going to break in a year, some Harbor Freight tools, or we can just totally put you in, like pigeonhole you to these pink tools and that is so incredibly frustrating. I do want to say that though the color pink is helpful when you have tools and you work with men, because if you just, which I did when I was building the house and taking barns apart, take a spray can and put it just a little pink swath on everything. Right, but I don't want a fully pink drill. No, but I'm just saying it does work the opposite. It gets mm -hmm. them not to take your tools. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I don't care what color your tools are. I have tool envy um, when I'm around you uh, because I have all of the chintzy tools. Oh, you do not. Uh, I, I really do. Oh. And uh, so if some of your tools start disappearing. Um, I know where to find you, it's, Jay. It's Annie's fault. Right? Oh, it's Annie's fault. Well, I want to say that even like going to auctions, I bought tools when yeah. I was building the house. And the auctioneer, well, I'd often be the only woman, but the auctioneer would say, I'm not, I'm not taking your bid. Women don't need tools. You're taking this away from the men. Right. Okay, doke. Well, you have been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jan Annie Warmke. We want to thank the Tool Time. Um, I, I don't even, 
I would, Poor okay. Adam. Yeah, okay. Destiny. <laughs> no, Destiny Dame of, of Dame Good Construction for being here and explaining some of the issues around women in construction. We want to thank Adam, who can construct an Emmy out of mud. And we want to thank you for just spending a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others, clean up your own mess, and stop being sexist about women in construction. Okay. You hear that, Dave? Uh, de- Dave. <laughs> Destiny. <laughs> right. Till next time. Bye-bye. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at BlueRockStation.com. Yeah.